0: The uh, children are dismissed for children's church. So if you are up through um, grade four, you, you may be dismissed for children's church. You'll find your teacher right outside in the foyer. I think you line up over on this hallway. Um, I've actually never seen how they line up for children's church because I'm always in here uh, when we do this, but I've been told that there's a, quite the cavalcade of children as they depart. The rest of us turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16 is where we are going to be spending our time this morning. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 4 through about verse 15. As we open the Word of God, we are grateful for the way that the Lord has provided His guidance to us. There is one big topic um, today. The one big topic is, is this, and it is the mission of the Holy Spirit, the mission of Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, in the life of the world. And so as we think about John, uh, as he's what we would call in this section of scripture, the farewell discourse, the last time he will be teaching his disciples before he departs and goes to the cross and then is um, exalted to heaven, what we find is that he's talking to them about the Spirit of God. And I had a um, a seminary professor named Richard Pratt, um, and he would always say this, and this, this really stuck with me, because oftentimes I would say, the Holy Spirit. And he would um, correct our class, and he would say, why do you always say the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit is a person? And so he would always pray saying, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, because he says, I would never pray the Jesus Christ, or I would never say the Caleb Stiegel. Or maybe I would. I He's really important, whatever. You know, but, you know, but anyway, you know, we would say these things about, so when we say Holy Spirit, let's try to get rid of the the, as it were, so that we actually um, make him more of a person because there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. So as we think about that, part of what he was doing is he was trying to get us to think more of Holy Spirit being a person rather than an it or some sort of Star Wars-like force you know, in the life of the believer. But what we find in John, the Gospel of John, in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, is we probably find the, the, the best summary of what Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer, but also in, in the world And so, oftentimes, when we think about who God is, we would say something to the effect of, God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. When we think about the Son, we might say, Jesus is the Son and Savior of the world. But when we think about Holy Spirit, we might say, Holy Spirit is? And we're like, well, I don't really know. How do I define that? Is He the counselor? Is He the guide? Is He the helper? Who is Holy Spirit? He is God, but how does he work? And he's backstage, and he's always bearing witness about Jesus, and he sort of takes a backseat role to Jesus and wants us to glorify Christ. And so I think what John 16 tells us, it'll give us a a better understanding of Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, but also in the life of the world. So having said all that, let's read the word of God. John chapter 16, beginning in verse four. I'm gonna read all the verse four. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Would you, would you pray with me? as we open up your word. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you convict us of our sin? Would you convict us of our own self-righteousness? Father, would you convict us of all the promises of God that they are true? And Holy Spirit, would you guide us into all truth? Would you bring about the peace that you promise? Father, in this world, we will have trouble. But even in the midst of the trouble of this world, you send your spirit to us to comfort us, to guide us into all truth so that we might bear witness about Jesus and worship him with all that we are. Holy Spirit, be with me as I preach and be with those who are listening. Father, would you work in us great faith in Jesus? We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So, as we, as we come to this, we see this Greek word that really is, has a multiplicity of definitions and it's this idea of the paraclete and that Jesus says, I'm going away but I will send a helper for you. That word helper is is the Greek word paraclete. We see it in a couple different ways. And it can be actually translated helper, counselor, or guide. I heard one pastor say it like this. He goes, let me teach you all some Greek. He goes, when I was in sports, and, I, you know, and I'm gonna use it from, from my vantage point, when I would play baseball in high school, I remember we would oftentimes have rain in the, in the infield, which was all dirt because we didn't play on grass infields at that point, was really, really slick. And unless you had a pair of cleats, you were gonna slip. And this idea of a pair of cleats keeps you rooted on the ground. If you didn't have a pair of cleats, you would slide all over the place. But if you had a pair of cleats, then you could actually stand your ground and make a cut to the left or a cut to the right or actually run to the bases. A paraclete is actually a helper in the same way that a paraclete in baseball or any other sport is actually advantageous to you. And I know that if you're playing sports, you ever um, play like a pickup game of like football and all of a sudden you see guys get out of their car and they're putting on cleats in their car and you're like, these guys are way too serious about this pickup game that we're going to find out. And you know, but, but the reality is they just can play better than you because they're equipped better than you. In the same way that the Lord God of heaven sends the helper, the spirit of God, Holy Spirit, to actually guide us to make sure that we can stand firm in the midst of all that life throws at us. Now, I want you to think about this because in in verse seven, Jesus says this, and this is an astounding thing to the disciples. He says this, nevertheless... And now in verse 6, he says that I know that sorrow has filled your heart. Why has sorrow filled their heart? Because Jesus has said to them, That I am going away from you, that you will not have my presence with you. But he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus says to the disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, if you're a disciple and you've been with Jesus for three years and you've seen the mighty miracles that Jesus has done, I mean, you've seen him you know, multiply loaves of, of, of bread and fish. You've seen him you know, resurrect Lazarus in John chapter 11. You've seen him you know, um, really put the Pharisees over his knee and spank them. You know, you've seen all of these things and you go, wait a minute, Jesus, you mean to me it's better? There's an advantage for me that you go away? That's hard to believe. As a matter of fact, I mean, many people would say, you know, if I can only be with Jesus, if I can only see Jesus, if I could walk where he walked and be with him, then I could believe. But Jesus actually says, it's to your advantage that the spirit of God comes upon you more so that my presence would be with you forever rather than my physical presence would be with you from time to time. There's a a book actually that was written by a pastor named J.D. Greer uh, in Raleigh and it actually is, is, is entitled Jesus Continued, Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. And oftentimes, again, we think that that's not true. Like, for example, imagine, for example, if, you know, there's college kids moving into into, uh, the dorms now, into apartments. Imagine if you showed up and Jesus was your roommate. Yeah, Jesus as your roommate. Now think about this. Think about this just just for fun for a second. Think about, you know, if, you know, you don't have any food in the house and maybe you just have a little bit of leftover Chick-fil-A and you got two little chicken minis and you're like, man, this is not gonna fill me up but Jesus is my roommate, Jesus, can you do something with these two chicken minis, can you make a feast out of this, yo, like Brett, I mean, matter of fact, he could actually get Chick-fil-A on Sunday, (laughs) you think about that for a second, right, if Jesus was your roommate, right, I mean, if you you think about Jesus being your roommate, you know, um, like you're at a party, all the wine is gone, no more wine, you got Jesus as your roommate, you're like, Jesus, we just need to fill up some like five-gallon buckets of water and he's gonna turn that water into wine. Or how about if Jesus is your roommate and something happens and let's say you have a dog and your dog dies, you got Jesus as your roommate, you're like, well, he did it to Lazarus. Like, can't you do it to, to you know, Fido or can't you do it to Spot? I mean, Jesus is your roommate. You're like, this is gonna be amazing, right? Or think about, you know, like, if, if, like maybe if your dog doesn't die, maybe your cat dies and, you know, I mean, Jesus will probably be there to help you dig a hole, Okay. <laughs> It's just kind of how it is, all right? I'm just kind of, you know, anyway. Um, But what Jesus actually says in the midst of this is that it's better for you if I go away and that the Spirit of God comes and resides with you forever. Now, here's what the Spirit does. If we look at, again, John chapter 15, we look at um, verse eight, here's what he says. And when he comes... This Spirit, Holy Spirit that will come, um, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now how does it work itself out like this? Let me explain this because this is what the Holy Spirit will be doing in the lives of those. So what does it mean that he convicts? What is conviction? I don't want you to think about this in terms of like a legal trial per se, but rather this conviction is like this. D.A. Carson says it like this. It's driving home personal conviction in an individual's heart and mind. The aim of the Spirit's work is not to produce a guilty verdict. That already stands. You're already guilty, Right? but to bring the defendant to see the perilous condition in which he stands. That may prompt him to enter a plea for mercy, for only mercy will save him. So we think about it in this way, this this conviction, this conviction, and what does he do? There are three different ways in this particular verse that it says that he convicts the world. Now, this is very, very comforting for us Okay, because last week we talked about one of the ways that that the Spirit will be working in us is He bears witness about Jesus. And that when the Spirit of God resides within you, you will also bear witness. Hey, Martia, we get the word martyr from that, that word martyr from witness. We will also bear witness about Jesus. But what we see is that when the Spirit is working in the world, He will actually convict the world of sin. Now, what I believe that they're talking about here, I think he's using this in relation to the witness of the apostles and the church to those who have never heard. But notice what it says, of sin. Now within this, verse nine elaborates upon the threefold, um, you know, the three ways that the conviction will happen. It says in verse nine, concerning sin because they do not believe in me of sin, they do not believe in me, meaning that the world, you know, is, is sinning because they do not believe in Jesus. Can, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning their sin. Sin is anti-want of, you know, conformity or transgression of the law of God. That's, you know, catechism for that. But what it means is that we miss the mark that God has set for us. You know, I've often heard that, you know, sin, you can think about it as a, a term for bow and arrows, and as you're aiming at the target, when you miss the target with your bow and arrow, it is called a sin. You are missing the mark. You are missing the target that God has for you. Now in this way, Holy Spirit will convict people and they will work inside someone so that they are shown that you know, they have problems. that they have elevated money to a place of idolatry, that they often are liars in relationships, that they have made an idol out of self. But primarily, this sin, this transgression of God's law, sums up in, in verse nine where it says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Now, they do not believe in me. Jesus is the one who is speaking there. So what they're saying is that the sin, or the way they're missing the mark, the way the, the Jewish people miss the mark was they did not recognize Jesus as the savior of the world. They did not recognize Jesus as the anointed one, the Messiah. So they do not believe in Jesus. They do not accept his teachings. They do not believe his claims. They do not accept the assessment of themselves uttered by Jesus. And they do not turn to Jesus for their salvation as he is freely offered. And so what the Holy Spirit is doing, and oftentimes, uh, theologically, we might call this effectual calling, is the Holy Spirit in the midst of the world will actually begin to work in the life of someone who doesn't believe, and they will begin to ask questions such as, where does forgiveness really come from? They'll, They'll begin to understand that they're not a good person. I know that, you know, you know, school just started, and there's a bunch of kindergarten teachers out there telling kids that they're snowflakes and they're skittles and you're special. But the reality is that we're all sinners. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, there's something beautiful about children. We love children, but but children are sinners. Uh, matter of fact, this week we got a text from our, our daughter-in-law saying that our, our grandson, four months old, had learned the the dreaded arching the back. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know what I'm talking about. It's when the child is upset and they just arch their back you know, in frustration and anger. And that's just kind of what they do, right? It's who they are. They're sinners. Now, I, by the way, we continue to arch our back. We're just better at hiding it, okay? I mean, you know this. Some of you aren't very good at hiding it, but others of you are very good at hiding it. And so there's this idea that that the spirit of God comes in and he begins to convict us. And again, this idea of convicting, he drives home, he drives home that we are guilty and that we have transgressed the law of God. And I, and I, I truly believe this, is that when you begin to look at your life and you begin to see how selfish you are, and how much your life revolves around you, you go, wow, I'm a broken individual. Now oftentimes, we're really, really good at seeing the brokenness in the people around us. But oftentimes, we're myopic with regard to our view of ourselves and our ability to see our sin within ourselves. But Holy Spirit comes and he begins to bring about conviction of sin. Now, here's where I've seen this occur. I've seen this occur when, when the gospel message goes out. I've seen it really several different times, but, but really, I, again, I have, have a good friend um, named Rob back in Virginia, and, and Rob came to our church in Virginia, and he, and he didn't know much about the gospel. He had grown, grown up culturally Catholic, had spent three or four tours in Iraq, and, and because he had seen so much human atrocity, couldn't, was really struggling to believe that anything was good anymore. And in the midst of working with Rob and, and proclaiming the gospel and he was coming to church, I began to see the Holy Spirit, or Holy Spirit, excuse me, Holy Spirit work in his life where he began to recognize it's not just outside of me that's broken, but it's also inside of me that needs healing too. Um, matter of fact it was, it was interesting we, I was just shocked by this because you know, in, in the church sometimes we get you know, just shrouded in our own culture sometimes and I remember talking to Rob specifically um, just about you know, the lust of the flesh and, and I, I remember talking to him about um, pornography and he goes is that wrong he literally said is that wrong and he said, he said, I have no category in my brain for that. He says, you know, I'm a Marine colonel. He goes, when we are, you know, downrange in the AOR, the area of responsibility, he goes, you know, I just know that, you know, by, by, the, by the restrooms, there's just a whole stack of pornography and guys just kind of grab what they want. He goes, is that actually something that would actually be detrimental to me? And I go, it's not only detrimental to you, but it's detrimental all over the place, And that was the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit working in his life to draw out truth so that he would understand what is right from wrong, good from bad, evil from godly. Now, this idea that that sin will be convicted of, it it also says this in in verse 9, it says concerning sin because they do not believe in me, again, Jesus, but then look at verse 10, it says concerning righteousness... Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So, why does, why is it said that it actually, um, the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, will actually be bringing conviction of righteousness? I think there's a little bit of um, irony here, and John uses this a lot within the Gospel of John, but he's saying, I actually want to convict you not only of your sin, but I actually want to bring about a conviction of your own righteousness, or your own self-righteousness, or your lack of understanding about what righteousness really is. Holy Spirit will actually tell us what is right from wrong. Like, um, for example, there was a, a story... In, in World War II, where in some of the um, uh, prison camps, uh, actually in Europe, some of the European prison camps, they would actually, um, they, one, one of the units that was in prison, they were sent a game of Monopoly. Monopoly was a game that was sent over there. Well, so, so what happens, uh, you send a, a Monopoly game over to a bunch of prisoners who were there. What they do is they, they quickly discarded the game, but they kept all of the fake money and that became the money that was used in the midst of gambling throughout the prison camp. And invariably, one, one person was a better gambler, poker player than the rest of them. And he amassed all of the Monopoly money and would use it to his benefit and to his gain. And then when he came to the States, after he was liberated... He actually, in his mind, still thought that this money had value. And this true story, he literally went to the bank to deposit the monopoly money that he had won in the prison camp, thinking that it was real. In a similar way, that is us when we bring our false righteousness to God. Because when God looks at our good works, we know that our good works are intermingled with a whole lot of selfishness and a whole lot of self-righteousness. And that we are not only need need to be convicted of our sin, but we need to be convicted of our own righteousness. Because again, when we think about Isaiah 64, it says even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Even our righteous deeds are so entangled and, and soiled because of our sin that we can't do anything truly good. Now, what's amazing about this in in the conviction of righteousness is that many people would say, if you were to ask them today, like, why should you get into heaven? They will tell you, because they believe that they're a good person. Because I'm a good person. And what Spirit, Holy Spirit, is doing is saying, no, there are no good people, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even in your sinfulness, even in your righteousness, your self-righteousness, your misunderstanding of righteousness. You see, the gospel message is is, is summarized in this way, is that we have these filthy rags. We think about this in Zechariah chapter three, um, that we have these filthy rags that that we have upon ourselves. And the gospel message is that the son of God comes and he takes his pristine white robes that are righteous and unblemished, And he takes his righteous robes and he replaces our sinful robes with his righteousness. And then we take our unrighteousness and Christ wears it on our behalf on the cross. You see, Jesus does not only forgive us for our sins, but he also forgives us for our self-righteousness. You know, again, when, when people will say, well, why should you get into heaven? People will say, it's only because of Jesus, it's only because of Jesus. There's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. There's a a quote, let me read um, this this quote by a man named um, Joseph Aline in a book called A Sure Guide to Heaven. He says, some people end up trusting in their own righteousness regarding salvation. This is a soul-ruining mischief When men trust in their own righteousness, they do indeed reject Christ's. Beloved, you have need to be watchful on every hand, for not only your sins, but your duties may undo you. It may be you never thought of this, but so it is that a man may as certainly perish by his seeming righteousness and supposed graces as by gross sins. And that is when a man trusts to these as his righteousness before God for satisfying his justice, appeasing his wrath, procuring his favor, and obtaining his pardon. This this assurance of your own righteousness this is to put christ out of office and make a savior of our own duties and graces beware of this o oh, professing christians you are much in duties but this one fly but this one fly will spoil all the ointment when you have done most and best, be sure to go out of yourselves to Christ. Reckon your own righteousness as filthy rags. Let me, let me su- summarize it like this way. Some people will show up and they'll go like, I'm saved because I go to church. No, you're not. I'm saved because I give money to the church. No, you're not, but we're thankful. You know, I- I'm saved because I pray a lot. No, you're not. You are only saved in Christ. And when you're in Christ Holy Spirit comes and begins to do a work of grace in your life to convict you of sin. And really what you utter is you go, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, I have nothing to offer in terms of my salvation except my sin. I have nothing with which to come into your presence except Jesus Yesterday we were at Presbytery, um, and actually Ryan Mayo uh, went through his ordination exams and did very well, and he passed all of his ordination exams. And you could just feel, he's sort of flying this, today, just kind of floating. He probably hasn't felt this way since like, Christy finally like, like said, I will go out with you probably, right? You know? Like he's just kind of floating along right now because he's done all that he needs to do. But in the midst of that, uh, one of the candidates was up. This was not Ryan, it was a man named Joe. And I asked him this question I said, Are you saved by works? And he, he answered correctly and he said, Only the works of Jesus. I am saved by works, but only the works of Jesus save me. And that's a good answer because it's the only answer we can utter. Now, the third thing it says here is it actually says that he will convict the world regarding judgment. This idea of judgment. The counselor convicts the people of the world in the area of their thought for unless they come to grips with their false judgments of spiritual reality, how shall they ever come to know him who is the truth? You know, people have made judgments against Jesus and Spirit comes in, Holy Spirit comes in and says, no, no, you have not thought correctly about who Jesus is, his love and his mercy and his works and who he is, and there's conviction about their judgments, but also there's this conviction of judgment, as we see found in this verse, where it says concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, when Jesus is talking about the ruler of this world, he's talking about Satan. He's talking about overcoming sin and death, and triumphing over all of darkness on the cross. You see, when we think about the cross, we, the world thinks that it is this great failure on the part of Jesus. But when we look upon the cross, we see it as a symbol of victory and forgiveness, where Jesus on the cross took all of our sins upon himself and then being resurrected, he disarmed the rulers and powers and authorities, subjecting them to open shame. We read that in Colossians. You see, the, the reality is, and you know, I, some people might say, Why are you talking about judgment? You know, why, why are we talking about that? Well, in part because it's in the Word of God. But I want you to understand this, brothers and sisters. Um, today, in this world, if you are in Christ, this is as much of hell as you will ever experience. And if you are outside of Christ, this is as much of heaven as you will ever experience. When we think about what we believe and we think about who we are as people, we need to realize whose we are. Meaning, are we in Christ? If we are in Christ, we have all things. And if we are outside of Christ, we have nothing, nothing I pray that Holy Spirit, you would be working conviction of our sin, of our righteousness and judgment. Now, not only is there this conviction of the world that Holy Spirit brings, but if you look down in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, we we see this, and this is, I'll be brief with these points. But we find this, he says in verse 12, at this point, Jesus basically says to the disciples, I love this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. Essentially, he said, You essentially are a Dixie cup, and you are trying to fill yourselves up with all the waters of the ocean. And I have so much more to say to you right now, but you can't take it. But I'm going to send the helper. And when the helper comes, now think about this. What happens to make the disciples, the the, the same disciples who when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, they scattered like cockroaches in the middle of the night when the light comes on. They, they scattered. And yet, when the coming of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of Jesus, and the coming of the Holy Spirit comes, they will stand up against armed men. They will speak for Jesus in the halls of the Pharisees. And they will, they will bring conviction to the Pharisees. And they will say that Jesus alone saves. So what happened to them? And I will tell you, it is the coming of Holy Spirit in their lives. It is this belief and this trust in Jesus And what happens in the midst of this, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, when the paraclete of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. Now, I want you to think about this. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he begins to make the bible accessible to you as a matter of fact when we get to portions in the scripture that we don't understand or we struggle to we should pray to holy spirit that he will illuminate us and help us to understand these things how many of you have ever been in a difficult time and all of a sudden scripture pops in your mind anybody here you get a difficult time and scripture will come to mind you know who's doing that it ain't you Is the Holy Spirit within your life bringing to bear that word of truth so that you can be comforted and guided in the midst of difficulty. That's what Holy Spirit does there. I tell you, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. One of the most dangerous things that you will ever hear a man say is this. I got this. I got this. When we think about pastors who have failed morally, I think it came down to this. They were like, I don't need any help. I got this. When we think about anybody falling morally, they think, I got this. And rather than listening to the spirit of truth come and convict them of their sin, their righteousness, and the judgments or the misjudgments that they have, they say in their heart and mind, I got this, and I don't need your help. That's a dangerous place to be. Self-autonomy is a dangerous, wicked thing to have. Also, it's oftentimes the last three words that a man utters before he dies in some sort of tragic event or just foolishness. But the Spirit, Holy Spirit, will guide us in all truth. That is comforting. And then notice what it says in verse 14, last point. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Holy Spirit actually helps us glorify Jesus. Oftentimes we don't talk about Holy Spirit very much because the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring about glory to Jesus. But there's also this aspect in, in here that Holy Spirit working in your life will actually cause you to worship Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So as we come, I pray that Holy Spirit, as we come to the table, as we sing on Sunday morning, as we sing, we would glorify the Father and the Son. Through the power of the Spirit, and that we would sing with such great joy for our forgiveness, for our union with Christ, for the Helper that comes, who guides us in all truth. We close with um, this, this poem. When we think about, again, Holy Spirit and how He works, this is by a man named um, Alber. H. Auburn, 17, probably the, the early 1800s. He says, our blessed redeemer, ere he breathed, his tender last farewell, a guide, a comforter bequeathed with us to dwell. He came in semblance of a dove with sheltering wings outspread, the holy balm of peace and love on earth to shed. He came in tongues of living flame to teach, convince, subdue, all-powerful as the wind he came, as viewless too. And his, that gentle voice we hear, soft as the breath of even, that checks each fault, that calms each fear, and speaks of heaven. And every virtue we possess, and every victory won, and every thought of holiness are his alone. Spirit of purity and grace, our weakness Pitying, see, oh, make our hearts thy dwelling place and worthier of thee. When we think about the table in front of us, we think about this table, and I think about what he he wrote in his poem, that are we worthy to come to the table? No. Only when we are in Christ, only when we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, are we worthy to come to the table and commune with him, only because of our union with Jesus. And I pray that as we come to the table, Holy Spirit might convict us of our sins. He might convict us of our own self-righteousness. He would convince us that his judgments are true and ours are false. And as we come to the table, know that we can only come to the table because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this bread represents my body broken for you. And in the same way he took this cup, he took a cup and, he, and he, it was filled with wine. This is filled with grape juice. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant shed with, in my blood. This blood needs to be poured out or this blood needs to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And every time that we do this, every time that we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Now, why do we proclaim his death? Because it is only in his death that we have life. We proclaim his death and we glorify the son because of what he did for us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, this bread will always remain bread and this juice will always remain juice. But Father, you invite us to communion with you And Father, spiritually, you show up. You you are present here spiritually and you pour forth grace upon grace upon your people so that we might live for you. So Father, help us. Holy Spirit, comfort us. Father, we know that we go into a hostile world to share the gospel, but Father, we know that the spirit of God, your spirit that you sent, is convicting the world and drawing sinners to yourself. Father, convince us of that truth and help us to live faithfully for you. Father, thank you for Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.